Welcome to the House Church Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message by Pastor Stephen Sexton. If you would like to know more about the House Church, please visit our website at welcometothehouse.com or download the House app. I don't know about you, but have you ever, and I know that I'm talking to a millennial culture, and so you guys probably do like uh, your drinks of choice or like, you know, uh, body two point slash water, but it's not really water. It's kind of like lightly flavored water. Um, but when I grew up, we drank Coke. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? We drank Coke in a bottle with a glass. We spinned the top. Come on. And it was something when you went and you drank it and there was a little smoke. Come on. You know, let's go there. And, and so we drink it. And the, when you drank it, your eyes would start. And you would, I can't talk. And it, would all, and, and it was almost painful, but you loved it. This is the greatest thing ever. And we would have, we would have games. Like, you know, it was like, who could drink the most without totally burning your throat off? And, and you know, it was, just, it, was, it was a great time to be a child. You know, and, and, and so now people are like, what flavored water do you want, lame? But anyway, anyway, uh, anyway. Uh, and, and, and I don't know about you, but have you ever had those moments where, let's say you, you buy some Coke or something and, and you have the two liter and your kids forget to really tighten the two liter and it's a little, it's a little flat. It's a little flat. Or, or you have some Coke and, and you put some ice in it and then all of a sudden it's like watery and it's like, it doesn't really, it's not the smoke, water, ice. It's not that. And I think James is really working on and helping us make sure that our Christianity isn't watered down. That, that we stay sharp and that we stay in a place where, where we are measuring ourselves. Do we, do we look like God? Are we moving forward? And I want to talk about three big themes in this chapter as we talk about it. I'm going to give you all three and then we're going to walk through them. The first is James teaches us and shows us that a believer shows no favoritism. We, we don't show favoritism. And, and that's the first section that we'll look at. The second is, a believer gives mercy. We, we continually always give mercy as a believer. And the third is, a believer's faith should be active. And we're going to work through all three of these uh, really quick as we go through James. So let's look at it. James, pull out your Bible, open your app, come on, tap a screen. Let's go to James chapter 2, uh, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of your Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and fine apparel, and there should come a poor man with filthy clothes, that you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand here. There, or you sit by my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become, become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brethren, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom which he had promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble, the noble name by which you are called? Let, let's stop right here and let's talk about this first portion. 
A believer, James is trying to tell us that a believer shows no favoritism. It's important to note that the Christian life is in opposition to what mainstream culture says. Listen, the, the, the truth is we live in the world, but we're not of it. And if we're not careful, we will be programmed to think just like MSNBC, Fox News, CNN. We'll, we'll think like our culture, but really we live in our culture, but we think differently. We think differently about everything. In our culture, it says that value comes by how you perform, what you build, how financially secure you are, your image. You are only as important as who you know. I, I remember this one time I had, I was at a conference and I was speaking at this conference and I got done and this youth pastor comes up to me and he's, he's crying. And, we, and I, we, we were talking about image and, and his identity in Christ. And he just said, man, I, I've been a youth pastor for about three years. And, and, I, and I work at this bigger church. And, and, I, and let me just say, God's not against bigger churches. People say all the time to me, oh, Stephen, I love the house because it's, it's smaller and it's whatever. And I'm just like, we ain't going to be for long. <laughs> well, why? Because healthy things grow. I, 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 love, I loved all my kids at two. But I didn't hold them back from being three. You know what I'm saying? Healthy things grow, and we're going to have to figure out how to do more life, how to get more people involved. We're going to have to figure that out because, you know, those of us that are coming in at this season, it's kind of like Legos. It's kind of like, you know, we want you to connect, but everybody only has a certain number of connectors. And so some people have two, some people have four, some people have six, some people have 16. But only, there's only a certain number of connectors. And so what happens is there's got to be more leaders, more life group, more ministry. Because if everybody's only wanting to connect with Katie and I, well then you only have so many connectors. Jesus, there was 120, Jesus had 12. Out of the 12, he ministered to three. And then out of three, he had one that John said, and he loves me the most. <laughs> you know what I mean? The truth is we want to keep building because I believe the kingdom of God is we hold the ladder as other people climb up and there is a place for your gift in this house. That's right, yes. There's a place for your gift in this house. As we are looking over about what we're talking about, it's very easy for us to, to, to think about value like the world thinks about value. Where, what, who do I know? This youth pastor came up to me and he, he said, my pastor uh, is about to let me go. And, and I said, really, why? What happened? Whatever. And he goes, really, what he told me is he said, you're only as valuable as the, the, the important people in your phone. I said, what? <laughs> he, said, he said, the only people in my phone are people who have huge churches or huge businesses. And he said, uh, if you, you're only as valuable to me as the important people that you know. I didn't know what to say to him. I was like, it's not really biblical. <laughs> you know, I understand. Listen, I understand that, that we want to run with people who are successful. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we want to run with people who are, if I want a great family, I'm going to run with people who have a great family. If I want to, to, to make it in my career, I'm going to run with people who motivate me to do that. That's not what it, James is talking about here. What James is talking about here is when we as a church body, we don't 
we don't give the same amount of value to every person. Listen, value is intrinsic. It was value was given by God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image, and in the image he created them, male and female. Both the rich and the poor have value. One is not more important than the other. The family of God has no favorites. God is no respecter of person. He doesn't value one child over the other child. And here we got to talk about this because all of us have a sense of, I, I, I do, I've had to check myself countless times. Why are you talking to them? What are you doing? How are you doing? Because I don't want to be seen as someone who, uh, oh, you have a ring. Sit right here. My child sits there, but she can move. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> The reality is, the one thing I love about our house is, is, this house, is that no matter who you are, we want to know you. We want to connect with you. We love you. What? How can you love me? You don't even know me. It's weird. No, no, no. We, we love you because Christ who first loved us put love in us, and we realize that every person who walks through the door has a story. Every person has potential. Everybody has a value. Everybody has a past. Everybody walking through the door at this moment is a miracle in the making. Someone is about to experience some breakthrough. I believe that every person has the potential to do something and they have talents, they have abilities, they've got God-given... And so we, who are we as a church that we're going to promote one person but not... And so as a church, we've got to work really, really hard at making sure that anybody who comes in here, so here's what we do, because we are starting to do life. We're starting to do life groups together. We're starting to hang together. Our families are starting to know each other. So how do we grow from here? Well, here's what James says. Don't show favoritism. In other words, we greet and meet every person who comes in. And so what I would challenge you to do is meet the new people first. The first-time guests, shake your hand. Invite them. Do Help them get involved and then go connect with your friends. But if we come in and just connect with the people that we know, we look like an insider church and that's when people say, well, I went to that church three times and no one even talked to me. It's not that we're not friendly. We're just not friendly with you. You know what I'm saying? And so we've got to make sure that we keep growing platforms to have more connectors so that people can feel like when I go into that church, there's a way to get involved. There's a way to know people. There's a way to know about their life groups. There's a way to know about what's going on. That's what we want. That's what we want. James is talking about partiality. Partiality. We believe that everybody who walks into this church needs, at some point in time is going to need forgiveness, freedom, and focus. We're not looking about looking at what they're driving. <laughs> oh, do you see what they? Oh, <laughs> yeah, the church is going up, baby. Yeah, that's. We're not. We're not. Every life is valuable. Come on, that's exactly what God told Samuel not to do. Samuel was a prophet in the OT, Old Testament. And so basically what, what happened was he was going to pick a new king because King Saul blew it. He just kind of did his own thing. And so uh, Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and there's all of these strong, handsome, buff men. And Samuel walks in and sees the oldest, Eliab. And he goes, hey. And right then God says, do not look on the outward appearance, but you look at the heart. Yeah. 
See, the reason we don't show favoritism is because someone can come with a lot of exterior. Come on, they can get the hair did, get the nails done. Come on, Blue. You know, we, we, we can get all of that. We can get everything looking good on the exterior, but if we're not careful, we'll care more about how they look than how they come. And everybody's got to come the same way. Everybody's got to surrender. And you know what? The reality is there's favoritism on both sides. And for some reason, we're in this weird culture in our church where we're like, ah, rich people, ah, poor people. Doesn't even make sense. Doesn't even make sense. The reality is this. God is not against money. He's against money having you. God is not against money. God is against money having you. The truth of the matter is, if we are going to do all the things that are in our heart to do in this community, come on, if we want to be an advocate for adoption, and we want to see adoption thrive in this area, and we want to have a goal of, of a thousand babies adopted or, or whatever, if we want to do that, it's going to take some money. It's going to take some money. If we want to touch this city, if we want to plant church, if we want to see people, if we want to disciple young men who are hurting, if we want to see young women, if we want to do something, something now we can have I mean we're done we're done I mean we could just be done come on we got what 70% of the room full done everybody else can just go to hell you know we're good we're good as long as we can pay the bills and you know mama can buy some meals we good so that's not the gospel message that's not what we're doing and so it's gonna it's going to take money. In fact, Jesus died, and he died in a borrowed tomb of someone who had enough money to buy a tomb. So he was not against money. Come on. There was also Zacchaeus. I don't know if you've not known any Bible, but Zacchaeus, uh, he was a wee little man. Wee little man was he. And so, uh, and, and so Zacchaeus, he... This dude climbs up on a sycamore to see what he could see. And so uh, Jesus looks at him and says, Hey, Zach, I'm coming to your house uh, today, today, today. And, and, and so, but here's the crazy thing. Is God's moment with Zacchaeus? Listen, God's moment with Zacchaeus, this dude, the story is in Matthew. This is when, when Jesus became real to Zacchaeus. Here's what he said. He said, I will repay all that I've taken, plus some. See, this man wasn't about, hey, Jesus, you need to know me. Let me tell you, I'm the Zag Meister up in this piece. I mean, y'all don't even know. Man, let me tell you, you need connections, you need a boat. I got you, dude. I got you, man. What you need? Because I'm telling you, I, I make things happen around here. You need money? I just charge a little extra. We got this thing covered on lockdown. It's good. We're good. It's not what he said. He's, he came and he submitted. Yeah. Whatever I've done wrong, I'll fix. But there's also the story of the rich young man who tried to buy his way into Jesus' presence and buy him his way into Jesus' apostle discipleship crew. And Jesus said, go sell all you have and come. And you know what? He walked away because he couldn't. The reality is this. It's not about what we have. It's about what has us. James was written as a warning not to get wrapped up in all that we have because at the end of all that you have, you cannot buy freedom. 
You cannot buy freedom. And for those of you who have means and money and blessing, man, we thank God for you. We thank God for you. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. All of that does not buy you security. It's all temporal. And for those of you that you may be in a season where you're struggling a little bit, you know what I'm saying? You're struggling. Here's what I would tell you. Be very careful who you judge because here's what I'm going to tell you. You will never repeat in your life what you judge. If you condemn, you can never produce what you've condemned. You never can. We honor both sides. We honor the people who have means, and we honor those who don't. And everybody has a seat at this table. And here's the deal. We're not turning this church into high school. Come on. We got the cool kid table, and you're not welcome. Because here's the deal. We represent the king. And the king says, come on, all who are weary. It doesn't say all who are financially, you, know, uh, 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 you have a lot or you have little. It says, oh, come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's why we want a multicultural, multi-generational. Come on, I want red, yellow, black, and white, because we precious in the sight. I want everybody. I want everybody coming. I want everybody coming. Why? Because we're, there's no favoritism. Because as soon as I marginalize somebody, because of what I've perceived, they're too young, they're too old, they're too weird. You've missed an opportunity to expand the kingdom. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Listen, there are two types of seekers. There's the one who comes to offer God everything that they have. And there's the one that comes that isn't really ready to give up anything. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, you have to come ready to surrender. You have to come ready. We're into stewardship. Stewardship, this, this last week, Devin was driving my truck. I got a big red truck. And Devin was driving my truck and, you know, I let him use it to, to mow and do some things that he needed to do. He in that truck, looking good. I mean, he probably leaned his seat back in the chair, you know. Probably turn the channel to some, some, some music that is more his, his flavor. You know what I'm saying? Probably turned up the radio a little bit. Probably went and got a drink and, and drank a Coke, went to McDonald's, ate, and man was feeling good. But you know what? And he may have thought, everybody passing, man, that's a nice truck. Thank you so much. People looking at him, man, that's a nice truck. Yes, it is. Until I call and I say, I need my truck back. Everything that you've been given, you're a steward of. Make sure that you don't think it's yours because it's his. You are the one facilitating and managing the resources of God. It's not just yours. It's his. It's his. The second thing that we read, let's James chapter 2 verse 8 and... uh, 8 through 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, James 2, 8 through 13, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you'll do well. If you show partiality, you commit sin. Oh, dang. And you are convicted by the law as a transgressor, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all of it. For he said to himself, do not commit adultery. He also said, do not murder. Now, if you... uh, do not commit adultery, but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak 
and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's talk about this. A believer gives mercy. He's still talking about what? He's still talking about, we remember Jesse and in Full House or Fuller House? Have, come on, come on, y'all know. Have mercy. As a Christian, we got to have mercy. The truth is we all need it. For those in this room who have experienced God's loving kindness, I want to encourage you to give mercy. The royal law, what was he talking about? Well, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, let's read this real quick. Matthew chapter 22, and uh, I think they got it, maybe they don't. If not, I'll read it. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Let me, let me go there. They, they got it? Okay, here's the deal. Jesus said unto them, You shall love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. For on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, here's why Jesus said this. You could turn if you wanted to. We don't have time. Exodus chapter 20, I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are what God used to help free the Hebrew people. The reality is there, there, there were a group of people who were enslaved by Pharaoh. They served Egypt and they were for years slave, taskmaster, slave, taskmaster. So much so that the culture grew and they did not know how to be free. They didn't know how to be free. They were driven all the time. Get up, go to bed, make bricks. Get up, go to bed, make bricks. And so they grew up just living by the taskmaster. They didn't know how to function in society. They didn't know how to do anything because everything was mandated in a monarchy and was just, it was just one person telling them what to do. Well, so here's the thing. God sends Moses in to free all these people. They all come out of Egypt and, by, and it's estimated that we're 600,000 men, just men, not women and children. So the, the number is much higher. 600,000 men are now walking out. Woo, we have our freedom! Yeah, freedom! Except for they don't know how to be free. They've never produced anything. They've never built anything. They've never done anything that wasn't mandated to them. And so they did not know how to live free. So God says, okay, let me give you the law because ultimately I want this group to thrive and the law was the Ten Commandments. The reason Jesus says this is because he covers the first four in the first, you shall love the Lord God with all of your heart. That's the first four commandments. The next six commandments have to all deal with people if you break down the ten. And you will love your neighbor as yourself. So if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to steal, kill, murder. You're not, you're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to grieve. You're not going to do all these. Because the first four dealt with your, our relationship with God. And the next six dealt with man. Does that make sense? They were trying to, at this moment, they were trying to trick Jesus. And, and, and Jesus just kind of lays, Jesus, is, I love him. He's like the master smackdown because it's like, uh, it's kind of these, boom, all day. You know, it's like a, that was a mic drop moment if you were there. Um, but, but the reason it's the royal law is because Jesus brings everything together. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
because they all are about the same. This, this love your neighbors yourself is mentioned six times. Paul writes this in Galatians, and he also writes it in Romans. So this is the church at that time knew this. They knew, love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. So it was very common when he wrote it, he didn't need to do the explanation that I just did because they knew it. Now, I find it interesting that it talks about the law and judgment. The reality is we're all guilty of sin and we've all broken the law. And James is still talking about favoritism. So he is saying, listen, it's not about how much people make and it's not about how much people don't make. The reality is we have all fallen short of the glory of God and we've all broken the law. So why are we treating each other better or worse? Because we all need the same mercy. If you, if you uh, grew up and, and, and you had financial means and you started your business and you've never really had a financially hard day, you still need mercy because you have not kept the commandments. If you are poor, I remember when my parents got divorced, we lived in low-income housing for two years. I'm talking about we just poor. No air condition, poor. I still needed mercy. And so for us to show favoritism, oh, I'm going to sit by you. Oh, I'm more comfortable about you. Come on, you, you millennials that are here, you need to hug our old people. You need to hug them. You need to give them honor. You need to let them speak into your life because we show no favoritism. You older folks, come on. You know, all you see is young people with their phones out, everything. <laughs> you need to walk up and hug somebody. And I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're, you know what I'm saying? And you give me your phone number. Maybe not, we're not in a stalker way. Um, <laughs> But I want to I wanna take you, I want to go get coffee with you. I want to know you. I want, we don't show any favoritism. Guys, girls, we don't show any favoritism. Anybody can come in. Now, now, here's the thing. Just because we love everybody who comes in doesn't mean that we want them to stay where they are. We give mercy. We give mercy, but we don't give passes. God wants us free. We give mercy. You know what? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this as we talk about this. I'm going to give you a mercy test real quick. First is this. How quickly do you forgive? I know it's getting real. Up in... How quickly do you forgive? Because you were forgiven. Are you merciful to that one annoying person in your family? Come on, the one person that you think should have everything together by now, the one person, you know, it doesn't matter, your boss, oh, are you giving any mercy to your boss? Because you know, you do know you're smarter than them. You're smarter, you're more capable, you know the system better. Dear Lord, I'm just waiting for you to be transferred to somewhere. You know, are, are you good at giving mercy to the annoying people in your life? Are, okay, let's keep going. Are you kind... To your enemies. Come on. I know we all know how to say things to our enemies. I know we know how to delete Facebook, remove people from our life, vanish people forever. But the Bible says that, that even worldly people are loving to the ones that love them. But do we know how to love people who grate on our very last nerve? You understand what I'm saying? It's like, 
you feel like they woke up and their very existence <laughs> is like a glass sandwich that you eat. <laughs> it's just hard for you to love them. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God has a plan for their life. Yeah, right. And the Bible says that God has something for them. Yeah. And the only thing I would tell you is this, is that it is a little hypocritical for church to say we only love these type of people. And I think that that's why the church has gotten a bad rap because here's what we've done. So either we say we love these kind of people and we grow inside our church and everybody looks the same and acts the same. Or we say we love everybody and we let sin run rampant in the church. And there is no standard and we're not growing anybody up to maturity and we're not letting anybody grow. The reality is some of you here, are you've been spiritually deep for years. You can look at some of the babies in our group, just people who've just recently come to church, just recently got saved. And, oh my God, that's so, so annoying. Oh my God, I just, well, I just need to get delivered. <laughs> but here's the deal. I pray that we're never a church that doesn't have babies. Babies are messy. Babies cry and whine all the time. They're so loud and obnoxious. But here's the deal. Babies are a sign of life. And so I pray that we have both. I pray that we have the spiritually mature and then we have the babies and we're all growing together and we're learning how to be the family of God. Come on, somebody. And and, and we're just growing because everybody needs mercy. There was one story where Jesus said, if someone asks you to go one mile, you go two. When's the last time you went two miles with someone? You know, hey, can you come over and help me? Not only will I help you, but I will also bring lunch. (laughs) I was waiting for this opportunity. You know what I mean? Walk two miles. Come on. Some of you walk. You know how long that is. That's like 12 minutes. That's 12 minutes out of my day. Listen, we've got to make sure that we are continually giving mercy and that we are giving mercy to everyone because we all need it. All right, the last part, and we're going to roll out of here. James chapter, I mean, not James, yeah, James. James, (laughs) what book are y'all in? (laughs) James chapter 2, verse 14 and 16. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute for daily food, and one of you say, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things that they need for the body, what is a profit? Man, can we stay there for a second? I got a lot to talk about, but come on, are we great at that? (laughs) Praying for you. Get your book called Best Life Now. But I don't want to help you move. I don't want to come over. I don't want to watch your kids. I, I don't want to, I pretty much don't want to do anything for you because I'm serving me. You hear what I'm saying? The reality is this we cannot live a better gospel 
We cannot preach a better gospel than we live. And the reality is, is it's important for us to make sure that our actions line up with what we're communicating. 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, if you have faith and I have works, show me your faith by your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even demons believe and tremble. But you want to know, O oh, foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on an altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. The reality is we all, it's easy for us to sing, come on, I'm a friend of God. There's a song that I, mean, I love, I got it on my playlist. This worship leader named Israel's got this, I'm a friend, I am a friend. I jam that all the time. But the reality is there are people that God calls friends and value and friendship are different. God will never diminish your value, but if you want to be his friend, there's a difference. Your value is, was inherent, but your friendship is by actions. Look at this. Look at this. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot? The harlot? Come on, I know we have some kids up in this place, but everybody know? A night walker? Maybe a day walker. I don't know where you live. <laughs> also justified by works, when she received the messengers and was sent and, and sent them out the other way, as for the body, without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. Is dead. Listen, I find it interesting that the only two examples that, <laughs> that he uses is James and Rahab. Like the father of many, and I guess Rahab the mother of many, I don't know. <laughs> you can go and do that whatever you want, I don't know. But, but I would think that Abraham... Come on, Father Abraham, person, awesome. Rahab, not as awesome. <laughs> Abraham, you should want to be like him. Yeah, y'all know where I'm going on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but those are the examples. Like, you can't think of any. Like, oh, Abraham and Noah. Abraham and Esther. <laughs> Abraham and her. And, and I think the, it's important for us to see that what changed Rahab was her actions. The actions. We've got to have the actions. We've got to have the actions. And so real quick, I want to walk us through three kinds of faith and we're going to get out of here. First is dead faith. You can have faith that's actually dead. That 
faith, it substitutes words for deeds. In other words, come on, we have a lot of Christians that work on the Christianese. You know, some people know English, some people know Spanish, and some people know Christian. <laughs> oh, brother, hallelujah, bless God, hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, brother, sister. Amen, amen. Okay, you, you, you talk like you live this, but you don't live this, you talk this. And, and what James is saying is we don't talk it, we live it. We, live, we back it up with actions. Come on, you all remember the time in high school or junior high when two people would get together and fight, but then you, everybody's fight, 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 and they would stand together and go, and like someone had to push someone into someone else so we get this thing rolling. Actions. Like, all we do is talk. All we do is, is, is talk. That kind of faith won't ever produce anything. It's intellectual faith. It says the right thing. God does not want us to talk. He wants us to walk. Live it. He wants us not to just have words, but he wants us to have works within our words. The second thing that I want to tell you, is the second type of faith is demonic. Demonic faith. I know some of you, when you say demon or demonic, you're like, oh, that's kind of scary. But, uh, and these people are not scared. They're not leaving. They're the band. So, so <laughs> wow. wow. I mean, is that a buzzword? <laughs> listen, listen. As we talk about this, demonic faith, let's look. I find it very interesting that this, if we look at this, it says that even the demons believe and they tremble. In other words, what that says is they know and they feel. They know and they feel. And so some Christians, we just say all the right things because it's Pavlov's theory. Ring the bell, the dog salivates. And so we say what our culture has been saying. And so we say bless God because we grew up in a church that says bless God. But we're not really doing anything. The second culture is highly experiential. And come on, everything can be melt at the altar. Everything can be done at the altar. Everything, oh, we had good church today. Did you feel it? I felt it. Then we go right out, cut four people off, don't tip the waitress, are mad as a hornet, emotionally control our home because we don't bridle our mouth. We're pushing kids away from Christianity, but we had a great altar time. That's the one thing I loved about my pastor. I grew up 20 years serving one guy, and we were in Hot Springs, and I would always come in because I, I came from a culture of, you know, God blessing, supernatural, great things, and, and, I, and I believe in all that, so I'm not down in it. I'm just saying that that's where I came. So I started the ministry, and I... And I came in and I was like, oh, pastor, we had a great, powerful service last night. And he goes, how did everybody act at Sonic? I mean, we weren't really having church at Sonic. Why not? He said, Stephen, I'm always going to care about what you do outside church. Your marriage, your family, your kids. Because way too many people perform in here, but they don't live it out there. We're not performers. We're not performers. 
Even the demons believe in who Jesus is. The difference is they don't submit to it. They don't do what he wants them to do, but they believe in all of it. I want to talk to you about demonic, I mean, I mean dynamic faith. This is the faith. You know, dead faith touches our intellect. Demonic faith involves our mind and our emotions. But dynamic faith will cover our intelligence, our emotions, and our will. The mind understands the truth. The heart desires and rejoices in truth. And the will acts upon the truth. What separates us is our actions, not our value. Well, that was a great sermon, Pastor, on favoritism, but still, you know, I know that there are people. Let me tell you something. Actions are the separator, not value. Favor always, service always unlocks favor. If you want to grow in your business, in your family, in this church, if you want to help, if you want to do, I promise you, you will serve your way to the top because actions are a separator. And my encouragement to you is this, that your faith would be strong. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message ministered to you. Feel free to let us know on the Connect tab of the House Church app. We hope you have a great week.